From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Spring football came to a close last week, with the Orange and Blue game putting a coda on Billy Napier's first offseason leading the Gators. On today's show, we'll welcome FloridaGators.com senior writers Chris Harry and Scott Carter to discuss takeaways from the well-attended scrimmage, Anthony Richardson under the spotlight, more transfer portal action for men's basketball, gymnastics nearly claiming another national title, and stinging sports gut punches in the PAT. Then, football's head of recruiting strategy Katie Turner shares her fascinating backstory and how it led her to be an assistant athletic director in the SEC at just 27. But first, it's time for the Gator Roundtable presented by Pet Paradise. Are you the kind of fan who loves your team as much as your pet? Bring your pets to play where animal lovers and sports fans collide. Pet Paradise, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. As we dive into this week's roundtable, a lot to get to with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry. Uh, Gentlemen, let's start with the orange and blue game. Very well attended by both fans and by recruits, which I know was one of the the big objectives. Uh, I guess using that as sort of the, the baseline, what else stood out to you from Billy Napier's first technical appearance as the Gators coach on the sideline? Well, like most spring games, Adam, um, if there's ever like a, a, a spring kind of uh, a storyline, uh, it, it's usually if there's a, 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 some kind of quarterback situation, um, because obviously that's the that's the most visible thing. You know, they have some rules and what have you guys getting hit and what have you. But I mean, the, the, the people that went out there, a they, they were curious, of course, for the start of the the flag drop, if you will, for, for Billy Napier. I, I think he did a fabulous job to generate interest. Uh, yeah, it was on a Thursday night, but uh, they announced 45,000 people there. Um, I'm not sure what the real number was, but it was a very well-attended event. I thought there was enthusiasm. That many people come out there on a, on a Thursday night, and uh, there was some kind of uh, perception that this whole Thursday night thing was done because of uh, strictly because of TV. Um, but I, I will say this, that, that Alabama and Georgia had their spring games on Saturday. And by putting the game on Thursday, uh, Florida was able to get the recruits that you referenced to, to come to their game. Um, they also had some recruits family saying, you know, it's Easter. We don't want to, we don't really want to go to a spring game Easter weekend. So they played the game on Thursday and they, they got people there. And you know, I saw some, I saw some reports that there are uh, over 300, uh, potential, uh, you know, future prospects there. Um, not all of them are guys that, you know, Florida probably recruit, but it, you know, generated interest uh, in, in, you know, from high school football players. And that's the whole idea of a, of a, of a game like that. Now, as far as the game itself, um, all eyes, of course, were on Anthony Richardson. I thought he acquitted himself very, very well, uh, scripting him a confidence-building kind of game. Because remember, the teams were split via a, uh, a draft. So it wasn't like ones versus twos and twos versus ones or what have you that way. Um, it, was, it was even across the board. And um, his numbers are very good. He didn't, he, he didn't turn the ball over. Um, he had a 12-yard rush for a touchdown, threw a couple touchdown passes. 
uh, was mostly on point. I think it was 18 for 24, 207 yards, I believe, were his numbers. Um, uh, remember, he's, uh, both the quarterbacks, uh, obviously Jack Miller at third, he kind of struggled. Um, some wide receivers, uh, I think, need to step to the forefront a little uh, to some degree. But um, Florida had a nice nice production from their uh, uh, scratch together tight end position. And just there, there, there were some things that, that Billy Napier was obviously pleased about, but immediately after the game, uh, he was talking about getting in that transfer portal and, you know, that's going to happen. You know, that's going to happen quickly. And we're going to be start, start hearing those names uh, very, very soon. Cause uh, as he said, in, as he said before, he thinks he's got, thinks he's got good frontline players. They need depth and the way, and you can get depth now in May. Uh, via the transfer portal, and the Gators have every intention to do that. And uh, I bet they're going to get some guys that are going to help them uh, in not just down the line, but I'm talking about help them in the Utah game on September 3rd when the team opens the 2022 season. Yeah, and I don't see really the uh, the, the two most important storylines off the spring game or what Chris just talked about. First of all, none more important than Anthony Richardson, obviously, uh, with what he did. Uh, under circumstances and knowing that he's got the door wide open for him at that position now with Emory Jones uh, not a, no longer in the program. He went out there and did exactly what he needed to do. And then, you know, the the change in the date and creating a buzz. I was curious about it. I was actually in uh, Fort Worth at the uh, Gymnastics National Championship uh, Thursday night during the spring game, and I was curious to see what kind of crowd they would have uh, at this uh, back in Gainesville. I started seeing some photos, you know, of the uh, the swamp, and I was like, "Wow, that's that's pretty good for Thursday night." Because I really didn't know what to expect. I know that they had marketed it well and gave people a heads up on the the change, but I think uh, that's a tribute, really, just to the uh, the atmosphere and the buzz that Billy Napier and his staff have created since they came in four months ago. Um, and now they're going to try to carry that over, as Chris said, into the transfer portal and obviously into the next season because, uh, you know, what we learned Wednesday night, Anthony Richardson's developing nicely, I think, at quarterback, but uh, he needs a lot more players around to develop and they need some more depth. And uh, this is a team uh, that's still – I think a roster that's still uh, being pieced together in year one under uh, Billy Napier. And I would say it's safe to say probably there'll be a half a dozen or more uh, names on the roster by the season opener than, than there are right now at the end of spring. So uh, I'll take time for it to settle out, but uh, Billy Napier is certainly uh, letting others know out there that, Hey, we, uh, we got a few spots open if you're interested. So, uh, I'm curious to see uh, if he gets any takers that can be a, a difference maker in year one. And um, after that, guys, to me, just I, I don't think they came out with any major injuries, which is always good. And, uh, you know, some of the guys who did play, uh, I think one of the guys uh, who probably had the best game of any of the newcomers was uh, Dewan Black. He got some pub, but the offensive lineman, Osiris Torrance, I uh, know he graded out really well held his own and you know his first competition uh with the Gators. Uh again, Chris just mentioned DeWan Black is a guy that he seems to maybe have turned a corner at least uh attitude wise, whatever the issues there were. I mean I think everyone knows that he's got some talent, but I think he just kind of lost his uh place or direction uh at the end of the last season. Really didn't make much of a difference on the team last season. So 
second chance for him. And there's a lot of guys like him on the roster. So a lot of unknowns, guys. But overall, first spring under Napier, I think it, it was a positive step forward for the program, exactly what they needed. I think one thing that everyone saw in the orange and blue game and that, that we've seen over the course of the last year or so uh, is that Anthony Richardson can play. Uh, and he can play at a very high level. He's got all of the tools. It then comes down to questions of maturity, both on and off the field. Uh, and obviously, the off the field part made some headlines over the weekend as well, Scott. And uh, yeah, that's that's all part of the package. We talked about it. being the being the quarterback at Florida is an all encompassing role that requires a lot of you pretty much in every phase of your life. And Anthony Richardson is is kind of still going through those growing pains. So, yeah, you know, after the morning after the spring game, you know, Anthony Richardson's flying high, obviously, after that good game we just talked about. And news breaks that, you know, he recently got a speeding ticket where he's going 105 miles per hour, guys. Uh, I think it's a 60. and It's got a court date coming up. So, obviously, that's that's going to be news as, as Adam let in. And when you're quarterback of Florida – uh, everything you do off the field could become news, and and when you go 105, it's gonna it's gonna be news, and it, it turned out into a big story, and it was a very interesting, almost as much as the actual news to me was the interesting developments afterward, and just in the way it played out in the fan base, uh, you know, attacking some of the media and the media trying to kind of fight back, and uh, and then Anthony eventually responding in a very what I thought was the exact way he should have uh, saying that, look, you know, I'm not mad. The story came out. I'm mad at myself for, you know, putting myself in that situation, embarrassing myself, my family in the program, and I'm going to do better. And, you know, for those of us who are around Anthony Richards, who, who are, know the program, he, he's a good guy. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll be the first to say here, I've gone 105 in a car. Uh, probably most of us have at one time maybe, but when you are quarterback and you're going that fast, it requires a court date. I think in the state of Florida, if you go 30 or more miles per hour over the speed limit that's posted, it's an automatic court date. But again, uh, hopefully it's one of those lessons where he's learned from and he'll go forward and, uh, he, he, you know, the spotlight's not getting any dimmer on him. I mean, I was just thinking about this the other day, guys. I mean, Anthony's been here now for over two, almost two and a half years in the program. And he started one career game and you kind of forget he he becomes such a part. His name has been familiar to us for so long, but he really still hasn't done much on the field. And now the attention is just going to grow and grow. And they're going to talk about this off the field. But I, I don't really think there's anything there. It's just going to be a narrative that he'll have to deal with. But uh, if he can put that behind him and play like he did in the spring game, I look for him. Uh, you know, to put it past him pretty quickly. Uh, I want to talk about basketball here for a moment. And, you know, we were just mentioning the, the transfer portal when it comes to football. Obviously, in basketball, it's become an even bigger part of the, essentially, the, the fabric of uh, of personnel gathering. And there was really no doubt that was going to be a, a big part of what Todd Golden had to do when he came in, Chris, just because of the, the state of the roster. Um, so this past week, there have been a, a good number of announcements of, of players who have come in the transfer portal. And then in some cases, uh, another player who had the option to stay, who was choosing to play that extra COVID year. So tell us about the, the latest personnel moves over on the men's basketball side. Well, they've welcomed uh, a, a trio 
of, uh, of transfers uh, to date. Um, if you talk about the, the, the players that they've lost today, Tyree Appleby is, is out the door. What I'm hearing from him, by the way, is either Wake Forest or Texas Tech. And um, Toon Gatkak uh, decided he was going in the transfer portal. Haven't heard anything on what his landing places might be. Um, that's the attrition going out. As far as, far as the attrition coming in, uh, the Gators added Will Richard, a guard from Belmont. They added Alex Fudge, <clears throat> excuse me, a, a 6'8", 6'9", uh, forward by way of LSU. He's also from Jacksonville, so kind of local product who was an all-state uh, class 5A player uh, over there at uh, what, is, uh, what is now Riverside High School. It used to be Robert E. Lee, Robert e. Lee High School. And Trey Bonham, uh, a little point guard uh, from Virginia Military Institute. Um, kind of interesting uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, acquisition there. Um, I'll get to him in a second, but um, it, involved in all this, you also had some uh, some you know mini drama la- uh, last week when um, uh, Kowasi Reeves' uh, camp put out that he was going to go into the transfer portal, and seemed kind of curious at the time because Kowasi Reeves had had been all uh, excited about uh, it. He seemed to transition and the role that he was going to play and what have you. But um, I guess talked to some people in his camp, and uh, you know. Wanted to explore some things, but it didn't last very long. It, uh, yeah, I guess he had a cup of coffee in the transfer portal because it took about 48 hours. He was barely in before he was out, basically. And, and that's a good thing because uh, uh, Todd Golden had, since, since he got the job, he'd been working to try to uh, make sure that both Colin Castleton and Koisi Reeves were going to be part of this program uh, uh, next season. Obviously, Castleton was probably a, a more difficult sell being a, a senior with a guy with some uh, idea to, about, you know, playing professionally and something that's a very realistic, obviously goal for him. He could be playing realis- uh, really realistically be playing, you know, professionally next fall and stays going to be here with his COVID year, a fifth year senior. Um, and then, and now you got also uh Kowasi Reeves coming back to a guy who really blossomed. I think he averaged 16.3 points a game in the preseason. Um, they kind of took the reins off him a little bit and kind of made him more of a feature cut him loose a little bit, let him shoot more, let him play more. Um, he got his confidence going uh, late in the season. All right, so those two guys, uh, uh, Myron Jones is going to stay right now. Not, uh, obviously, Niles Lane is going to stay also, but I mentioned these three new guys coming to. Will Richards is a kid from Belmont, a guard. His offensive numbers aren't great in terms of shooting, but he's a scorer, and that's okay. Uh, you can you can become a better – you can improve your shooting. I say the same thing about Alex Fudge, a guy who played mostly the three position – not a great shooter. They they envision him. He's a six eight guy with about a seven foot wingspan, maybe even seven one. Um, they envision him more as a four or five guy who's kind of playing out of position uh, on an LSU team, but playing about fourteen minutes a game on a team that was basically in the top twenty five the, the whole season, and playing uh, fourteen minutes a game as a freshman on it. You know, like the I'd say eighth man. Uh, you know, in in that rotation, they have high hopes for him as an elite defensive player who can. Maybe play, uh, uh, you know, when they play small, play play a five position because he's really, really, really long. And then this guy, Trey Bonham, what they're calling him over in the basketball office, this is something we'll probably hear a lot about, guys. Is some, he's an analytical find, okay? Say it, let's say it together, guys. One, two, three. Analytical, analytical find. find. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, at VMI, where he was scoring about 14 points a game, about four assists a game. Uh, shooting the ball pretty well, around 40%. So you, they plug these numbers in. Now he's undersized. He's about 5'11", 6 foot. 
but where they, they have this, these algorithms that they punch in and they said, we need to pay a little bit more attention to this guy. And what they found out is they, they put premium on two point uh, percentage and they put premium on the ability to draw fouls because those are things that can translate from say a low, a high, a mid major or low major clock classification to, or a, a conference to, to a high major one. There's some things, you know, finishing around the rim at his size or what have you, that he's getting, there'll probably be some challenges going into the SEC, but uh, uh, they like, they like this guy. They like, they like his potential. They needed a point guard right now. They're at a uh, 10 scholarships. I think for this season, they got three to go. They have a, a very, very, very important visit uh, coming from a big man uh, this weekend. Uh, who's in the transfer portal, somebody that uh, a lot of people around the country are trying to get. And I know there's some things they're thinking down the line in terms of maybe some guys that are uh, testing the NBA waters and what have you. So this roster building for this basketball team is far from done. Todd Golden is very aggressive. He's very confident. His staff has a plan. And, uh, uh, you know, I know that there was one player this week that they wanted very badly that they did not get probably just going to make them all the more uh, convicted to uh, get back in there and try to fill some of these voids on, on this roster. But they like what they've done so far, but they are in no way at all uh, satisfied with what they've done so far. Still got some works, still got some work to do and there'll be more news in the off season, which is always exciting, I guess. Transfer portal is a, uh, it's just a different animal guys, just a different animal. And that's why we talked about it in last week's PAT and it's going to continue to be a, a topic that everybody weighs in on for the foreseeable future. Uh, I want to turn our attention now to Gator Gymnastics. Scott, you mentioned earlier that's where you were this past weekend in Fort Worth. Um, and and maybe, you know, I, I'll take this on. I think I, I may have unfairly declared them the favorites when really Oklahoma was the favorite, though Florida was definitely one of the two teams that everybody thought had a good shot to win. And as is the case, Scott, in judge sports, and it is worth noting, um, gymnastics is the only sport at Florida that is entirely determined by the judges. And the the beauty of it is often the eye of the beholder. I think there's some people that felt Florida maybe didn't get the scores they deserved on Saturday in, in the finals. Uh, Oklahoma did. And as a result, the Sooners were able to eke out a national championship, despite the fact that Florida did about as well as, as they could do by by most estimations. Yeah, I mean, you know, you could make the case that Florida and Oklahoma were both the favorites out there. You got to remember that Oklahoma came to the O-Dome this season and it was a, the Gators took care of them at home. Entered that meet, I think, what, 29-0-1 uh, the finals. and But it was Oklahoma's day. I, I, I just think it all started early on the vault. There was just a couple of, you know, missed landings, uh, not some sticks that weren't perfect. And you just had the sense, okay, it doesn't look like the Eaters are on top of their, their A game, so to speak. And what happened from there is Oklahoma kept getting better. And the Gators certainly improved themselves. But it was just like they never could overcome that final margin. And, I mean, it came down really to that last rotation. But uh, two great teams going at it, you know, uh, some great athletes on both teams. Uh, just wasn't for this day. Like I said, I think I wrote this. I mean – they could compete again tomorrow for the national title, and it could easily go Florida's way. They could be one Oklahoma, too. That is the sport. That's the, the judging part of it. Uh, there's a lot of factors. I, I think, you know, one thing that was kind of uh, striking to me, I've been to enough of these now where, you know, the Gators, they don't, you know, they won three of them, but they've not won several as well. And 
it's often a uh, a very just downtrodden group afterward, you know, sad, disappointed. It was a little different the other day because they knew that they were right there, had a great season, but they just knew Oklahoma was a little bit better. And, you know, talking to Trinity Thomas, Elisa Ballman, Jenny Rowland, they all kind of said the same thing. They got no regrets this season. I mean, they all three used that exact <laughs> term uh, just because they left it all out there. And Trinity Thomas, I thought she had a dynamic uh, weekend, uh, probably the best I've ever seen her. And now the question is, Adam, they've got some great young talent coming in. They've got, you know, five seniors who, as of now, I think they expect them all back, including Trinity Thomas, but nothing's official yet. They'll make those decisions whenever they're ready. Uh, but if that is the case and they come back with this, most of the roster intact and with some newcomers uh, that they have coming in, we'll be talking about them again uh, in this capacity next season. If, uh, you know, if they stay healthy and stuff one season. And Trinity Thomas won the all-around national title, beating the Olympic gold medalist, Suni Lee, who now competes for Auburn. So that's that's no small accomplishment either. And obviously, if she does come back, Florida will be in great position to contend once again. I want to turn now to our PAT, which is inspired by something that happened this week uh, that I'm sure emotionally affected two of us on this call, uh, myself and Scott. And that was Freddie Freeman facing off against the Braves for the first time as a member of the Dodgers. And it's hard sometimes to script these things, but Freeman had not homered yet in roughly, I think they played 10 games, had not homered yet as a Dodger, but he comes up against the Braves and on the first pitch he sees in his first at bat against the Braves, he launches one out for his first homer as a Dodger. And I saw that the range of reactions to this from Braves fans was, oh, that's actually kind of funny. Oh, man, that stings a little bit. And I want to lean into that second part because what stings are gut punches or even just even twisting of the knives if it's not quite at the level of a gut punch. But certainly as a Braves fan, it was hard seeing that. It did not feel great. So it made me think about memorable gut punches or just slight twists of the knife. Uh, that you guys can recall, whether from whether it's you know ironic events like that that you've covered, or ones that have personally hit you with the teams that you follow. So what uh what does that what does that inspire when you hear that prompt? Personal ones. I mean, my worst one would probably be there's a couple Dallas Cowboy ones that did in the the team that used to be the Washington Football Team or whatever back when they were actually good. Um, to sit there and get into them would just make me depressed probably, even though it was that long ago. <laughs> but I won't say that. But I'll say one that I watched, it had to be the, the ultimate gut, gut punch. Was, and yes, something that a lot of people rooting for, um, and I was at the game, it was in uh, Glendale, Arizona, is uh, when the 18-0 Patriots lost to the Giants. And, uh, I mean, New England obviously was playing for immortality, uh, playing for, you know, to trump the, the Miami Dolphins of the 72 season. And it was all right there for them. But, I mean, the Giants of that year were a wild card team, got in with five losses. But to have that within your grasp, to have that immortality of all things, and I think uh, the touchdown pass to, um, <clears throat> who is it, Plaxico Burris, I think came, I want to say, less than 20 seconds left in the game. Uh, it just if you're, if you're in New England, and, and to be honest with you, it was, I didn't, first of all, I don't like the Giants. I didn't ever have, really, per se. But uh, – Really, nobody. There's so many. Unless you lived in in New England, 
nobody wanted to see the New England Patriots probably go probably go uh, uh, 19 and 0 or what have you. But uh, that had to be as big a gut punch, I would think, because uh, I don't know, maybe maybe the Falcons le- leading 28 to three in the Super Bowl a few years later against. But that's just something that comes to my head. I don't know. If, that's something that might resonate with you, Adam. I'm, you know, I'm not sure I remember that. I'm not mm. sure if that's something that, that you can even equate to. But having said all that, it's not like what happened that day. Uh, and even the Giants, again, beat New England, if you recall. I want to say it was four years later in, in the Super Bowl also. Mm. Uh, and can you imagine if those outcomes didn't come, where Tom Brady's status would be in pro sports right now? If he had won two more Super Bowls, including a 19-0 season. Uh, I, I, you know, and it didn't do anything to hurt, you know, his, his legacy in any way or how anybody will ever, will ever think of him. But, uh, that one kind of jumps out at me. If you're talking about like, uh, uh, in a, maybe like in a big picture, high profile one for sure. Yeah. I mean, gut punches, we all kind of interpret them differently. Right. Uh, like what Adam's talking about, Freddie Freeman, you know, I thought it was kind of, I was probably more on the side of, it's kind of funny because I like Freddie so much, um, and, you know, the Braves, I think from what I've read after the fact, it seems like Freddie was open to the idea of coming back, uh, but then it didn't happen. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, the worst gut punch ever for me in sports was, I mean, it's, it goes back to the Braves, believe it or not, baseball, but a long time ago was the game seven of the 91 World Series, man. I wrote on every pitch of that, and then Gene Larkin, you know, got that hit in the 10th inning after Smoltz and uh, Jack Morris went at it uh, in a great, great classic game seven. Uh, Gator-wise, I think probably the most disappointing I was ever after a Gator loss was the 1994 Auburn loss. Gators were number one in the country. What was it? Uh, Patrick Nix hit uh, – what was his name? Frankie Sanders? Mm, Frankie. Yeah. I remember that was probably the most disappointing, even more than the Nebraska a couple of years later, because I thought I thought uh, the 94 team was going to be the one to do it. And, of course, I thought the 95 team was going to do it. Finally got the 96 team. But, um, if you want to say that, 94 also had the, the choke and the doke, which was every bit probably some people will say is a gut punch. That had a double gut punch uh, yeah, that, yeah, that you season, can, if you think. 31 to 3 in the fourth quarter? Yeah. They, a lot of people call that one uh, – probably with terms that we can't use on here. You know, no, right. Gut punch is right. a nice way to say it. But then also, probably I'll, I'll never forget when Shaq left the Magic. I was a huge Shaq and Magic fan. And when he went to L.A., I don't know why I still believed that he was going to stay in Orlando. That was my uh, stupidity at the time. Uh, that one hurt. Recent ones, though, man, I don't know, Adam. I'm, I'm to the age where when I see something that happened last night, like with Freddie Freeman, it humors me more than it gives me a gut punch. But um, if the Braves had lost to the World Series last year, that would have been a gut punch. Well, if they if they lose this year, if they lose the National League Championship Series on a Freddie Freeman homer, that would probably be one too. From the Gator standpoint, though, to be ten and zero and lose at FSU in 1996 and think there's zero percent chance that you have a chance to win a national championship. That had to be like well, that. That had to be the ultimate gut punch for Gator fans to be number one to go up there and to lose that game. Probably nobody who left that stadium thinking the circumstances that would unfold over the next six weeks could possibly have happened. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you were around, then you followed the Gators. Yeah, you're right. Uh, the younger crowd can't relate, but uh, I can't imagine there being a, a bigger one. I just remember the '94 because. That was to me when the whole Spurrier era was finally like 
they finally got into number one in the country. And I'm like, okay, this is it. And then they lose, you know, in a heartbreaker at home. So that's why that one probably sticks out most to me. To me, for the, for the, since I've been doing this, the, the UConn loss in the final four. I was, was going to say was, that, Chris. Was, was pretty significant. You talk about winning 30 in a row and play just a game that was so out of character of that team in that stage when everyone thought, because if you, if you go back, they had lost to UConn. That was their last loss 30 games before at UConn on a buzzer beater by uh, Shabazz Napier. And in a game, I think that, uh, I'm trying to think, to, I'm not sure Dodo played. And I and I think Scotty Scotty Wilbigan had to leave the game with a with a with a bad ankle. They you know they had their bullets for their for the next game. Um, and of course that game the next year Kentucky was thirty eight zero and lost to uh, Wisconsin. And I know for a fact there are I know for a fact there are people in the, in their in Kentucky right now who are thinking about that game right now right now. <laughs> Right. Without right. even hearing the prompt, they're just That's actively right. thinking right. about so they're, it. No, they're they're thinking about it. They've been thinking about it all day. Um, yeah. You could also you could also add the 09 SEC championship for football with everybody you know already booking tickets out to Pasadena for the Rose Bowl in Alabama. Uh, just does a, a roundhouse on the Gators there. So I think there's there's no shortage. If, if you're if you're a fan who's followed a team for long enough, you certainly have them. Whether they're just pure gut punch like that. Uh, or whether they are of the more ironic variety, like the Freddie Freeman ones, maybe a little, a little sour in that sense. But either way, it, it's a fun discussion to have. So uh, thank you guys for having it with us today. Thank you for all your insight. And we will remind people, as always, to check out your content on FloridaGators.com. Have a great week, guys. Thank you so much. All right, Adam. Thank you. Thanks, Adam. If you follow the Gators casually, you've probably heard the name Katie Turner. If you follow the Gators closely, you definitely know the name and have probably seen her all over social media as she leads an overhaul of Florida's recruiting strategy. When we initially reached out to learn more about her story and the methods she's implementing to turn the tide on Florida's recruiting efforts, we could have never guessed an hour-long call would follow. So what you're about to hear is part one of our conversation focused on her unlikely path to the critical role she serves in today, while part two will air next week and delve further into the details of Billy Napier's recruiting plan she's in charge of stewarding. Now, without further ado, here is the dynamo known as Katie Turner. Okay, well, so I'm born and raised in Buffalo, New York, and that is something that I take a lot of pride in. I just... I don't know. I love my hometown. I love the people. I love like who I grew up with. And I do think that it just helped um, really mold me into who I am today. Cause I do think like Buffalo is like very blue collar. We kind of have a chip on our shoulder cause we're not New York city. We're not like the skyscrapers and the glitz and the glam and the wall street and Broadway. Right, and so right. I love growing up there. Cause I think it just helped really mold me and like my mentality. Cause I, will say like, I'm a very hard worker. And that is one thing I pride myself in is that I will stay until the job is done. And like, Mm -hmm. I will put 110% into every job. So grew up there, had an amazing experience. I have, so mom and dad, and then I have two brothers. Um, I'm the middle. So my older brother is like very sporty, like grew up around sports. Um, My dad, very sporty played sports, loves football, um, younger brother, not into sports, like very artsy. So older brother, he starts playing football, but like in the suburb that we grew up in, there was no like little loop 
team, if you will. Like there was no one, there was no league for like six year olds, like right. eight year olds, 10 year olds, you know, nothing. Um, so my dad and a few of like the other dads in town, they just like got together and they started to, they formed this league and there was really a need for it. So my dad was just like really instrumental in like the forming of the league. Then that became um, just like a huge part of my summers when I was a kid because with my dad, like getting involved in it and like kind of helping start it, you know, he would coach. So like my dad coached little loop and that was just like the month of August growing up, but I was so young. I mean, my older brother is like three years older than me, but like, let's say he started playing when he was like seven or eight, you know, I was like four or five. Right. It was just something that like during my summers, I just started going with my mom. We would go watch my older brother. And then, you know, as I got older, like my dad, my dad would move up with him. So, but yeah, around then I must've been 10, 11, 12. Anyway. So really grew up with it every summer going to watch little loop and watch my brother play. And then really became like a fixture of my summers during my youth of just Mm -hmm. every August, I kind of like looked forward to going to that. And because I had my older brother and then my younger brother, my dad was a part of it for like over a decade. Cause you know, once my older brother grew out of it, he like restarted and like went back down to like the five-year-olds, my little brother, you know? So, (laughs) so yeah. And even though like now, like my younger brother, I mean, my younger brother like learned very quickly. (laughs) Like, I think he just stuck with it through middle school and he was like, yeah, no, like I'm out. I'm I'm out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He learned, like, he was like, no, I'm good. Um, but you know, it's just something that like, I really enjoyed going to. And so it's something that over the years, because honestly, I've had like 10 years to really think about this question of like, how'd you get so into football? And I think that those memories and like that time that I spent going with my dad, like as he coached um, and I would go stand with him on the sidelines or I'd like run around with my brothers and I like loved throwing the football around with the guys. And, you know, you're just like, they're like little kids around my age. You know, I just like loved like being one of the guys and like playing around with them. And I really think that that's like a huge reason for my passion for football was just growing up around that and kind of having that to look forward to every August. Um, So that was kind of like the first real spark that I can like, like remember vividly of like feeling a certain type of way for football. And then Buffalo once again is just really into our Buffalo Bills and we are not fair weather fans. We definitely stand with our Buffalo Bills um, through thick and thin. History would suggest that, especially the early 90s. Yes, yes, (laughs) exactly. Right. Like we lose the Super Bowl and then we like hold a parade for them, you know. So um, we had like a whole rally for um, Stephen Orwood and everyone that was just like another thing that I really point back to about like my love for football is just the city itself. Like just as a city have so much pride for our Buffalo bills. Um, and we love them, you know, win or lose, but then of course, like on top of it, having my dad, having my older brother who were just such big football fans and Mm -hmm. such big Buffalo bills fans that that really helped, um, cultivate like my passion, my love for football and, I think ultimately helped me get to where I am today just because it did plant a seed in me and the passion in me at such a young age. So I know I just took you like way back to the beginning, (laughs) but I really do think that it like, it does tell such a story of like who I am and how I got to where I am today. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Cause I told you, you're going to get way more details than you need, but that really helps tell my story. And my dad, he like, he had season tickets growing up. And so, you know, and he only had two. So 
that was something like, as we got older, I would fight with my older brother about like who got to go to the game with dad right, that week. Right. Cause I'd be like, so annoyed, you know? So as I got <laughs> older, I would, yeah, it like really started to become, um, just so something I would look forward to. And I started having my favorite Buffalo bills players. And I would read them. I would read the sports section in the newspaper every single morning just wow. to see like what was going on. Oh, I loved reading the newspaper. <laughs> like that is a trait that like, I, miss about like I just don't read the newspaper anymore I mean now I guess I read stuff online but right like, it's not like that you don't have the actual paper right no like yeah I miss it like every morning before school like I'd be eating my cereal and I would read the sports section like see what like see what was going on that day you right, know right because my older brother he really did push me to be like very competitive and like help me also in that too because I always tell him he's not a lawyer but I always tell him he should like I'm like <laughs> you should like go back, go to law school, become right. a lawyer because he is so good when it comes to arguments that I had to seriously know my facts. If I was going to talk about sports, if I was going to talk about football, like I had to do my research and I had to know like what was going on with the team, like who were we trading, like what draft picks did we have, um, who were we cutting or like going after for like training camp rosters, like who were we cutting down to? I mean, if I had an opinion, I had to be able to back up my opinion right. with facts. So yeah, he really taught me that at an early age, but it helped because it helped me really gain like a knowledge of the team and then a knowledge right. of football ultimately. So right. um, that's all the way back to the beginning. So we've established how you gained a passion for football, but there's a lot of people that have a passion for it. They don't get into the business of football. So how did you then make your way into a career in football doing what you're doing today? That began when I was a student at the University of Alabama. So I went to Bama for college. And that was actually just because I was looking for a school with um, a lot of school spirit and like tradition mm-hmm. and a big football team. And I didn't know anything about the University of Alabama at the time, like not even a little bit. I was really just looking up up, up north at like Wisconsin and Penn State and um, like Ohio state and schools like that. But, um, I didn't know much about the South. So there's really no other explanation except for that. I'm just a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. Cause when I tell you, I don't have any connections to the state of Alabama. I knew one person out of 35,000 students that went there. Wow. This girl, Jenny, she was the one she was a year older than me in high school. And she was like, Oh yeah. Like I love Alabama. I think you would really like it. I mean, it's everything you're looking for, but it's not like Jenny was my best friend in the whole world that I was like, I've got to go to Alabama. Cause like Jenny's going, you know, right, right, it right. was just like, okay, like maybe I'll take a look at it and like, think about it. And literally I just decided to go there on a complete whim other than just like, I'm spontaneous. And I'm like, oh, sure. Why not? Like, I'll try it out. Like I'm adventurous. I'm spontaneous. I'm outgoing. Like I can handle it. Like I'll be fine, which I don't know why my parents let me do that. I was 17 years old. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, sure. It seems responsible. Yeah. Logic is good. (laughs) What do I know at 17? I mean, like, I know that like, I thought I knew everything, but like, (laughs) I knew nothing. Like what? I literally look at them all the time. I'm like, why did you guys let me do that? Like Adam, my first day was move-in day. Like first day you went on campus. Yes. I never visited. That's wild. Not even after you were accepted, you didn't visit. No, that's a lot of, that's a lot of blind faith. And uh, 
Same. And the, the, a belief, a belief in Nick Saban, I guess, over anything else. Did you just identify like who has a ninety thousand seat stadium, and that's where I want, I'm going to go to a place that fits that? I didn't know that either. That's I'm wild. telling you, I did not do my research. Like I am such a different person these days because I feel like I do like much more like calculated research. <laughs> Honestly, not very much though. Like I've definitely took blind faiths when it came, like I followed coach Napier, like both places. Like I never visited yeah. Gainesville. I never visited Lafayette, Louisiana. Wow. I just like followed him. So, you know what, in all of my moves, there is something quite consistent. I've never visited any of the places I've just picked up and like, oh my gosh, I've literally just picked up and moved. But I'm anyway, sorry. You just caught me like realizing that, like coming to my own realization. But, you know, I didn't know anything, literally did not do my research in, in the slightest. I was like, yep, it's going to be a really cool, like they're really into football. They're traditional. Like it's going to, I'm going to get this like traditional college experience. And I'm excited mm. about that. And, like, that's what I was excited about. Like, I couldn't tell you anything else about school. Like I got there and I was like, my dad did tell me, he was like, there's this head coach, like Nick Saban, like he's kind of got it rolling. Like yeah. they, had, like, I mean, it was 2011. It was peak, it was peak Saban, peak Alabama. I know. So I'm like, okay, yeah. Like I go there. I flew down by myself. I have, I'm a thousand miles away from home. Okay. I have two suitcases, one with my clothes, one with my bedding. And you know, you have to get from Birmingham to Tuscaloosa. Right. And like, I just also don't know how the world works. Cause I'm thinking like every city has an airport and they're like, no, no, no. Like the closest major airport is like an hour away. Tuscaloosa has an airport if you have your own plane. Plane, right. I'm not realizing this though at age 17. Like I'm just like, oh, like every city has airport. Like, so they're like, no, no, you need to take that. Like there's this shuttle that goes from Birmingham to Tuscaloosa. And then like, that's what it's for. It's like, it's like a university shuttle. And to this day, I don't know if the guy driving, if that was just like the thickest Southern accent I've ever heard. Or if it was the first Southern accent that I ever heard. Right. And I just remember like being like, yep. And like smiling and being like, oh, I'm from New York. And like, I just remember being like, looking out the window, just waiting for the ride. So I get to Tuscaloosa and find my dorm. And then I just like drop my bags and just like immediately start exploring the campus. Cause it's my first day ever seeing it. And right. I remember like walking through and I was like, oh, I did so good. <laughs> Yeah, no one tricked me into going to the elevator to the pool or yeah. <laughs> I was like, I have got this. I was like, this school. Oh my god, this is perfect. This is beautiful. I, this is going to be so much fun. I'm going to crush it. First semester, um honestly, like the football was really really cool, but I think that the first like aha moment was the Iron Bowl. Um mm. we played Auburn at home that year and we beat them 49-0. Gene Chizik was the head coach at the time, but that I remember being like just in complete and total awe. Like I think every game had been like pretty cool, you know, but I just remember like that was, I think the first night game that we had that year. And I had watched like this 30 for 30, I think like on the iron bowl, you know, rivalry. And I, cause I was just learning. Like I was seriously, I had like, you know, my first year was just like, an immersion in like SEC culture. You know, I didn't know what schools were in the SEC. That was the first year Mizzou and A&M had been let in. Johnny mm-hmm. Manziel was my freshman year. Johnny Manziel beat us that year. That was my freshman year, which like I didn't realize was such a big deal because like I didn't know that was Texas A&M's like 
first year in the SEC and like the right. whole narrative. Like, oh yeah, we just came in the SEC and we just beat, you know, the King and like, anyway, but like all these things, like, I just don't even realize like what I'm even like a part of. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, yeah. And I think it all hit me at the Iron Bowl. I was like, whoa, ama- like, this is amazing. Like, this is so cool. So I had, once again, everything happens for a reason. I had a roommate. I did completely random roommates because I don't know anyone. Hmm. So my roommate, she was an RA, but she was like a senior. So she was experienced, had been a part of all these different organizations, was super involved on campus. She was amazing. Went to law school. She was amazing. And she was the one that was like part of, it was called Bama Bells at the time, which has since been, you know, rebranded, but she was like, you would love it. Like the love that you have for football. Like you have such a passion for football. You love people. Like you're such a people person. She's like, you would absolutely love Bama Bells. Like you need to apply when the application comes out. I'll let you know, like, I'll send it to you. I'll put in a good word for you. I'm like, okay, we go on. We win the national championship my freshman year. Once again, not realizing like how the cool that is. Of that, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I'm just like so new, like so right. green behind the ears and like had grown up a Buffalo Bills fan where like we were in year 14, probably of like our playoff drought. You know, I'm like, I don't even know what it feels like to like win something right. like of that, right. you know, I'm like, what is going on? This is the coolest thing ever. Um, so sure enough, we win. And then like that February or March, um, of 2013 is when applications come out and my roommate, just like she said, she would, she's like, here's the application, fill it out. Like it's super competitive, but like, you need to get this in, turn it in ASAP. Once you do that, you have to go through, you know, first round of interviews. If you make it through the first round, then you go through like a second round of interviews. If you make it through the second round, that's like when you get selected. So I make it through, I get selected. And then you have to go through just like this rigorous training of like, you know, you have to take, um, you have to take home like a huge packet. You have to study everything about like all of the coaches. You have to study everything about the facility, about the academics, about the campus, like everything. And then you have to get tested on it and you have to get a certain grade on the test in order to like still be considered a member. Then you have to like give a tour to like a veteran on the team, all this stuff. So, I mean, I remember she really helped me with like so much of it, like studying and like just kind of prepping me for everything. So, so I, I get accepted and I'm, I'm in it and now I'm learning and I'm like part of it, but there was about a hundred of us on the group and it had been rebranded. It was called university of Alabama student recruitment team. So it was hard. Cause it's like, how do you stand out among like a hundred other people? Hmm. So my freshman year comes and goes, I go home that summer, go through the season, working season, you know, spring rolls around. We had a bunch of official visits. You have junior days, spring game, all this stuff. Okay. So sophomore year, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to stay over the summer. Cause like at this point in time, I've kind of got like some friend groups, like I'm going to work over the summer. I'm going to work at a restaurant. So I told the football team, I was like, Hey, I'll be in town this summer. If you need anyone for like tours or anything, I'll be around. And that is where I did not realize how much of like an advantage I was putting myself in by being there for the summers. But that is where I really, when I like look back and like pinpoint how I think I helped myself stand out. It was by being there because you go from being a group of 100 to during the summer, there's only like 13 of us, 14 of us. Yes. So you are constantly being called on because there's all the summer camps, there's the football camps, there's the kids who they just pass through every day. Like, and they may not even be coming for camp. They might just be there for 
like they have off, you know, so they're doing their college visits. Um, so they needed, you know, campus tours, itineraries, all this good stuff. We had like a summer group chat and our boss was like, Hey, I have this person here today. Can anyone take them? And I would be there like every single day. I mean, I loved it. Like it was just so much fun. I'm like, I'll be there. No problem. Like whoever you need to put me with, like, I got you. And then by working there over the summer, that's when like, not only are you kind of standing out to like my boss at the time, but you're building the relationships with the players. So like when they were coming back in the fall for the games, they would start requesting and they'd be like, Oh, like, can I have Katie? Like I had her like during the summer, like, can she be my host again? So like that really helped or you got to know the coaches really well. Cause then they would start to like, remember you. So like mm-hmm. Kirby smart was our defensive coordinator and like Billy Napier was our wide receivers coach. And like Mel Tucker was our DBs coach. Wow. You know, it was just like, Oh, it was like a loaded staff. Yeah. It was a loaded staff. I mean, yeah. Mario Cristobal was O-line. Lane Kiffin was our offensive coordinator. Dan Lanning was an analyst and now he's the head coach. (laughs) This is a long list of guys who are now making a lot of money. (laughs) Who are like really doing well for themselves. Yeah. 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 Carrie Colbert was there. Casey. Wow. He's our first coach. He was there as an analyst. Schumann, Glenn Schumann got promoted to co-defensive coordinator at Georgia with landing leaving, but Schumann was there. He was an analyst. Yeah. I mean, it was like a really good, oh yeah. It was like, once again, not realizing like, this is amazing, you know? Right. Good time Um, right place. Yeah. And that is why I'm just seriously, like, I'm just telling you, like, I'm not trying to get all spiritual, but like divine intervention. I just seriously think like, I just was there right place, right time. Like during those summers is where you like really start to like get to build those relationships with the coaches and like they kind of get to know you. And then same thing when the fall rolls around, when official visits start happening, like you're someone that they trust. They're like, Oh, well, she does a really good job. Or like, she did a really great job. She made a great impression on that mom. Like she did a really great job with my family during the summer. Like Mm -hmm. I want Katie to do this, you know, that's how, how I really think I helped myself without even realizing it at the time. But now looking back, I'm like, no, that was totally it. So I just did that for the rest of college all throughout, you know, through senior year, as long as I possibly could, but then you just graduate, you know, it's just kind of like you graduate and you leave and you say your goodbyes, but it's not like, I mean, just part of the business. And I mean, I wanted to end back up in college football, but I really didn't know like what was out there for me. Um, so I was graduating and I got an internship with the Buffalo bills, which is obviously like, just, I love my team so much. So that was just like a dream come true. So I moved back home after college and working with the bills. I worked for a year in their community relations department. And then like my, honestly, it was probably like a year and a half. I think I was the longest intern. (laughs) They were like, okay, Katie, we've extended it as long as it kept coming back. Were, Were you a paid intern or unpaid? I was paid. Okay. say if you're unpaid, they'd let you stay forever. Like, sure. You can stay for six more months. Why not? Yeah. Because I think at first it was supposed to just be like three months or six months, you know, and right, then they were like, right. well, yes, stay on through May. <laughs> Why don't you stay on through the, the training camp, you know? And right. so then finally, like, I'll never forget. It was like, after I'd been there for my second training camp with community relations, they were like, yeah, like the uh, last pregame is going to be your last like day. Like we just can't extend it any further. And I remember being like, I understand. And <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I've honestly been wondering like when you guys would kick me out. 
oh my God. So then it was really fun because we had like a going away party for me, but then like business development, which is another department within the Bills organization, they were like, well, we need some help. Like, why don't you come on part-time with us and like be a paid intern essentially once again? So it was just so funny because like I had a going away party and then I was literally back like two weeks later. They didn't go anywhere. Yeah. I didn't even go anywhere. That's what everyone needs to do. Just say you're going away. You'll get a party. Yes. And then then be like, just kidding. Um, So I stayed on with them throughout like the whole football season. And then this was the year the Bills. We finally went to the playoffs for the first time in 17 years. And I like was sobbing, like boohoo crying. And um, the next week I get a phone call from Billy Napier. And he was like, Katie, long time no talk, like Coach Napier here. Um, I got the head coaching job at Louisiana Raging Cajuns, like would love to talk to you about coming down and being our director of on-campus recruiting. And I was just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> what? You know? And it really was just like amazing timing because once again, just like right place, right time. Um, because I, I've been going on two years now of being an intern after college and it is like super easy and I give this advice to like my students all the time, or even just like young people in the profession. And like, heck, I'm still a young person in the profession. I'm not like talking over here. Like I'm like this old wise person <laughs> because I'm not. And like, I'm going to look back one day and be like the same way I feel about how I was at 17. And I'm right. like, I thought I knew everything at 17. And I look back and I'm like, mom, dad, like, why did you let me do that? <laughs> I'm going to look back and be like, Katie, you, you like barely even know what you're talking about still. Um, <laughs> But it is so hard when you're like looking around, especially with social media and you look around and like all of your friends, like everyone's life looks so perfect. And everyone Mm -hmm. looks like they have all these jobs or they're like, I had so many friends from college, like getting married and having kids. And you're over here and I'm like, oh my God, I'm literally moved back in with my parents. I'm living in my childhood bedroom and I'm an intern making minimum wage. And Mm -hmm. I've been doing this for two years. (laughs) Like, and you just start to, I mean, you do, you definitely start to feel like uncertain. And like, it is super easy for like doubts to creep in. And you're like, you know what? Maybe I'll just like, quote unquote, like find a normal job. Like, I don't know what that yeah. like, means, but I did, like, I started like looking, I'm like, I guess we'll just start looking at like marketing or like sales or like something. Like I was looking everywhere, like indeed and monster and like LinkedIn. And, um, you know, my parents weren't helping cause they were like, you need, you know, you should really start looking like, and sure enough, like as the bill season literally is coming to an end, coach Napier, just like phone call, this could not have come at a better time. Like, right. yes, I accept. I don't care what you pay me. Like, I will <laughs> right, be right, there. Right. Like, I will be there. And I did. I just, I accepted once again, never visiting, drove 20 hours with mm. my dad from New York to Louisiana. And my dad dropped me off this time. You know what? This time was better than Alabama. I'm like, you guys helped me more at the age of 23 than you guys did at 17. Y'all really just kicked me to the curb at 17. Inside, you're an adult, figure it out. Mm -hmm. You know, at 23, my dad was like, I'll drive down with you. Like, I don't want you driving 20 hours by yourself. I was like, well, that's nice of you. Thank you. Seems seems reasonable. Yeah. (laughs) Seems reasonable. Um, He got to like meet everyone. and, um, And that's like really where I think this like, college football journey as like a professional has just now like taken on a life of its own because like I think it was one thing when I was in college and like I was just 
taking the orders and like, I'm just a soldier and I'm just doing what I'm told. And like, don't get me wrong. I'm still a soldier and just doing what I'm told for sure. But definitely more now, like I'm making the itineraries and like, I'm meeting with the coaches and like getting their feedback and, you know, having their, um, like fingerprint, like on the itineraries, on the visits, like, what do we want this to look like? You know, okay. You want to do a zoom? Like how, how do we do this? How do we do that? Like recruiting strategy. So it's just, it's become like a whole new life of its own and just been a really fun journey for me. But, um, with like going to the Cajuns, I just think that and I've said this before. I just think that coach Napier and honestly, people like coach smart and even like coach Tony, um, coach hockey, like those are some of my biggest supporters who I just think have like, they have seen something in me that sometimes like, I don't even see in myself. I think like, I wouldn't be where I am today without just instrumental people like that in my life who've like identified something in me and they've just believed in me and like given me the opportunity to just grow and to thrive. And so, yeah, I mean, after the Cajuns, I was there for two years and of course like coach smart, um, And that opportunity came up at Georgia. And I mean, that was amazing. And I just think like, I'm so glad that I had those years at the Cajuns to help, to help me like learn and grow. Cause to have to do that at a big school like Georgia, like I'm glad that I had some years, like, you know, kind of at a smaller school to be able Mm -hmm. to make, make more mistakes and learn a little bit more along the way. Um, so that I was more prepared for a place like Georgia. And so then when I got there, I mean, it was such a well-oiled machine already. Kirby, he's going on year seven now, but I got there year four. And I mean, they had made, they moved mountains like, and they were in the process of like those mountains being moved, whether it's like they got an indoor, they got a beautiful brand new recruiting lounge, um, new facilities being built. Like there were so many really big projects that like fell into my lap. A lot of it was just like, okay, we have the infrastructure, like they have the backing. Okay. Now how do we just like continue to make sure that like this, you know, machine keeps running and like, how do we make sure that like we have the people in place and that, you know, we're playing to like each of our teams, like strengths and weaknesses, like as the recruiting team. And of course then COVID was a whole challenge that everyone had to adapt to. And like, how do we make sure that we're doing well with that? And then of course, just obviously this opportunity here. So now you literally know my whole life story. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to Gator Tales wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review to help us continue to grow. Be sure to keep track of all of the orange and blue action by visiting FloridaGators.com, then come back here every Thursday during the athletic season for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Thank you so much for tuning in to Gator Tales. Gator Tales.